While you're finding 2 Timothy, I'd like to tell you about a book I read a while back called Quiet Strength. It's the life story, and it's written by Tony Dungy, a guy that you're probably pretty familiar with. Uh, Tony Dungy, 2007, took his team, the Indianapolis Colts, to the Super Bowl. On that very same year, he was also named Coach of the Year. A lot of firsts, pretty major, significant events, and obviously a pretty impressive life. The book is kind of what you'd expect. Um, It's football. It's football from Tony Dungy's perspective, whether you're watching it, whether you're playing it, or coaching it. But one of the themes throughout the book that you may not expect that is so prevalent in it is the major emphasis on spiritual mentors in his life, whether it be his parents or in-laws, coaches, chaplains, fellow players. There are all these influences, spiritual influences, that really shape him and make him the kind of guy that he is. And Dungy writes about these experiences. Let me give you an example. In 1977, he started playing with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, like most teams, they have a Bible study. So he goes and shows up to this. And let me just read you what he wrote. He shows up at this Bible study and says, quote, Some of the biggest, toughest guys I had ever met were there. And yet... They were drawing their strength and purpose from God. I had known from a young age that I was going to heaven, but I had never fully engaged God and let him direct my life moment by moment until I saw those guys doing it. I had been a good kid, by and large, stayed out of trouble, was usually polite, stood up for my values, yet the concept of putting God first in everything I did hadn't been my primary focus. Finally, I understood And I started to move from being a casual Christian to a fully committed follower of Jesus. Later in the book, he writes of a major disappointment. It's very devastating to him. And he writes of a guy named Tom Lamphere who had been investing in him. And Tom calls him at night and tells him and reminds him of two important truths. Tony writes, first, this is what Tom passed on to him. If I had any bitterness in my heart, it would only hurt me. While bitterness is a natural emotion, I knew I needed to pray and let God remove it so I could press on. Second, I needed to remember that this was all ultimately designed for good. Tom reminded me of Romans 8:28 and the Old Testament story of Joseph, which both have the same message. God is in control of our future, and he's working for our good, whether we can see it now or not. When you get to chapter 18, chapter 18, he actually discusses how the events that surrounded his son taking his own life and how he walked through this trusting in Christ. If you wanted a picture, transparent picture of maturity in Christ and great difficulty, chapter 18 describes that. See, Tony Dungy had a lot of people that poured into his life and made spiritual investments everyday people, like his parents and in-laws and coaches and chaplains and just fellow teammates. And they were really everyday people like you and me, and yet they had an uncommon approach to living. And I can just tell you that I am eternally grateful for just everyday people that saw themselves as living intentionally to help people grow in Christ. I think back to my days at the University of Oregon, brand new Christian, yet God brought just everyday people, students, 
guy who was directing the ministry to pour into my life and help me take next steps. I feel like there's so much that I've benefited and continue to benefit from people who are spiritual leaders who want to help me grow, help me mature. And it's, it's obvious that lots of room for growth needed with me, right? I get it. But I'm growing. And God's at work. And think about your own life. Think about the people that God's used in your life. Spiritual leaders, whether it be a teacher or coach, uh, just someone in your church, pastor, whatever. I'd be curious. How many of you would say that there were some spiritual leaders, just everyday people that, that somehow influenced and invested your life that have contributed to the person you are today? Just a quick show of hands. I'm just curious. Wow, just like first service. Almost everybody had their hand up. Why is that? That's because God uses people who see themselves as spiritual leaders just in their everyday life to make investments to help us grow. And I will tell you that our church and our families thrive to the degree that you and I see ourselves as indeed spiritual leaders and have an opportunity to make an influence. Now, you can learn a lot from bad examples, right? Like you see some gal or some guy and you watch how they don't do it or some of the things they do, and you're like, I see the outcome, really don't want to do that. I can learn a few lessons from some bad examples. But really, I think you and I learn best from good examples, don't we? Like, for instance, if I wanted to be a good coach or if I wanted to know how to build a house, I can learn from a bad example, but really what I'm wanting to do is find somebody that's doing it well or right. That guy or gal, and I want to take some lessons. I want to learn. When it comes to spiritual leadership, God not only wants us to learn, he wants us to engage. And that's what he does when you come to the book of 2 Timothy. If you want a classic text on how to develop as a spiritual leader, you're not going to do better than 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. I mean, he shows it. It's, I want you to know that when we look at it, you're going to say, wow, that's, that's pretty simple and obvious. But it is deeply profound. And for thousands of years, God has helped his people grow and develop in the faith through spiritual leaders. And I'll show you what it looks like when you open your Bibles and look at this passage. So how do you develop as a spiritual leader? Well, the first thing is you have to walk with God. You have to walk with God. Let's take a look at it. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. I want you to know that you and I lead best when we lead by example. God really intends that we model the message. And we lead best when we lead by example. You cannot, have, you cannot give what you do not have. And what Paul is saying is that we have relationship with Christ. He refers to it as the promise of life in Christ. And the relationship that provides grace and mercy and peace. It's a real relationship. It's not hypothetical. It's not ethereal. It's real. It's this relationship with the resurrected Christ. He allows us to lead. And really, it's interesting. We saw this last week. Did you notice two, three times in two verses, he refers to Christ Jesus. 
He talks about this promise of life in Christ. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, but you're just beating your head against the wall of society, you feel empty, you're pretty discouraged, if not depressed, you feel guilty, you're not exactly sure why you're here, what you're supposed to do, or even where you're going, let me just tell you, the answer to those questions is found right here, verse 1, in the promise of life in Christ. God offers you forgiveness, he offers you purpose, meaning, significance, and it's all found in this life that we have with Jesus, the resurrected Lord. And that's what Paul is emphasizing here. He's walking with God. In fact, my whole life is about the promise of life and passing that on to others. And he says, notice what we have. He's reminding in verse 2, Timothy, of the great resources we have in this relationship with Christ. Grace, all the blessings of relationship with Jesus. Mercy, God is compassionate to those going through difficulty. He gives grace, help, strength, and peace. Do you see that? That sense that it's well with our soul, even though it's difficult in our circumstances. It comes from trusting that God is both good and he's sovereign. It is a peace that surpasses all comprehension that he writes about in Philippians. It's found in this relationship with Christ. If you want life, you want Jesus. And notice what else he says here. He says in verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience. Every word in the Bible is important. And if you, if you kind of just kind of breeze through verse 3, verse 3 is like loaded. But do you notice how he serves God, how he walks with God? He walks with God with a clear conscience. Now, he's not saying I'm perfect. He's saying I am walking with God with integrity. When I sin, I confess it. But I am walking with a holy God. It's interesting, uh, conscience Sometimes we're not so familiar as to what that might be. Uh, every single person, whether you're an atheist or a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Muslim or a Christian, you have a conscience. It's innate. It's God-given. God created humanity. He's designed us in his image. And every single person has a conscience. How kind of how it works is like a warning, uh, sim- uh, warning uh, system in your life. Like if you, if you do something that is wrong, it goes off. And your conscience is tied to your highest understanding of right and wrong. Whether you got that from your parents, or you read it in a book, or, or if you're a Christian, you actually start reading the Bible. Now you have the Word of God, morality as God defines it, as well as the Spirit of God now influencing conscience. But you and I have a conscience. It goes off and says, no, you shouldn't do that. That's when we're moving the wrong direction. On the other hand, it affirms you when you're doing things right. So, like for instance... You're in a situation, uh, maybe you're watching a show and all of a sudden it's going in the wrong direction. Your conscience goes off and it's like, this is not right. And it's like, you've got an opportunity to make a decision. You're going to find at the exact same time, your flesh is like, oh, this, wow, this is great. I'm getting an adrenaline rush just even watching this. Your conscience is going off and saying, no, change the channel. You have a decision to make. Or perhaps uh, maybe they're at school or at work. And there's a relationship, but it's kind of crossing the lines of whether or not it's appropriate or not. And you're like, wow, I've never felt so alive in my life, right? Your conscience goes off and goes, no, it's not right. That's how your conscience works. If you make the right decisions, like, you know what? We've got to make some distance. We've got to, I've got to change this. Um, I've got to change even my job, whatever. 
your conscience affirms you're doing the right thing. Or perhaps you have an opportunity to cheat or to steal. No one will ever know. <laughs> I'll be so much better. I will be a happier person if I do this, right? Or I get an A on this test or whatever. Your conscience goes off and says, but that's not right. You make the right choice, it affirms you. It, it gives you a sense of well-being. If you violate it, you might get a little rush for the moment, but you will be all of a sudden faced with guilt and remorse and regret. Like, why did I do that? And I can tell you this. You can habitually ignore your conscience. Uh, if you want an example of that, Paul wrote 1 Timothy in chapter 4, verse 2. He said that you could actually come to a place where you can, like, sear your conscience as like with a branding iron. You cauterize it where you are so in a pattern of, of ignoring it and violating it that it just stops functioning like it should. It explains a lot of bad behavior that we see in our society. Like, how do the world did somebody even get to a place where they could do these atrocities that are flashed in front of us every day? Well, I'll tell you, one of the reasons is they just kept ignoring their conscience. They, they, they were informed with some understanding of right and wrong, but eventually it stopped working. As a, as a Christian, ours is informed by the Word of God, and it's, it's actually influenced by the Spirit. And Timothy, you need to know something, writes Paul. I serve God with a clear conscience. Not that I'm always perfect. Yeah, when I sin, I confess it, but I go about my life and my ministry with integrity. I walk with God. And notice what else he says. The way my forefathers did. You see that in verse 3? He says, I come from a long line of patriarchs, of faithful men and women who walk with God. I get it. I, I see that. You see, reflecting on your heritage has a way of refocusing you and calling you to action. It's like, you know what? I'm in a long line, whether through relationship, um, whether through spiritually, of men and women who've walked with God. I see it. They walk with integrity. I get it. I want to do the same with myself, my life as well. I was reading about uh, Teddy Roosevelt III. He is the oldest son of President Roosevelt his, uh, and his wife Edith, the First Lady. Um, pretty interesting life. He had been in the Army, but after World War II got kicked into action, he actually rejoined the Army in his 50s. And it's kind of interesting that he did it uh, because he had some pretty serious health issues. One, he had serious arthritis. The only way he could get around was with a cane. And he also had a heart condition that was also very serious, and yet he absolutely insisted and got into the Army again. And I tell you this because uh, I think you're familiar with uh, the Normandy invasion. What you may not know is that Brigadier General Roosevelt, Teddy and Edith's oldest son, he was actually led the assault on Utah Beach. He, he insisted that he would be one of the first ones. And so history records, he is actually the only general that makes, uh, makes the landing on the initial wave. Something else, he's also the oldest soldier to be involved in the invasion. And here's something else you probably don't know. He's the only guy who has a son that also is on the invasion when his son landed on the first uh, part of the first wave of soldiers on Omaha Beach. Now, what, how does this happen? He comes on the beach. He insists on being one of the first ones. He's there with his cane, making his way through the water. He's got his gun. He's got a heart condition. The Germans are shooting at him. When asked, 
why? What were you thinking? Why would you do this? He said this, I, I felt that I had to because of my father. He was faithful to lead the charge up San Juan Hill in Cuba, despite how perilous that was. And he felt uh, under compulsion to carry on the position to make the first charge in the Normandy invasion. Do you know he died 36 days later after that invasion? But you see, he had a legacy to follow and to leave, and that is why he led the way he did. But Paul is saying, Paul sees himself in a long line of faithful believers. And that's why he's walking with God. And that's why he's calling Timothy, consider your calling. See, you see it right here. I served the Lord with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did. See how powerful that is? You're, you're in a long line of spiritual leaders. And I constantly remember you in my prayers, night and day. See, spiritual leadership is always dependent upon the Lord. If you're going to be a spiritual leader, you've got to walk with God. Your kids need it, your grandkids, folks at work, folks in our church. We really need spiritual leaders. You've got to walk with God. Let me point something else out to you. If you're going to be developing as a spiritual leader, you not only have to walk with God, you need to love people from the heart. Look at this. It's not in verse 3 where he talks about, he says, I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Where is he writing this letter? Anybody happen to remember? In prison, right? He knows he's going to die. He's going to be executed. I'm sure it wasn't deluxe accommodations. Instead of just kicking the wall and griping and groaning like, I give up. It's terrible. I hate life. He's praying. Why? Because he's serving the Lord. He's doing so in prayer. But I want you to see how much he loves. If you're going to be a spiritual leader, you have to love people from the heart. Look at verse 4. He writes, I'm longing to see you even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. It's like, Timothy, I am mindful of our gatherings and our times of being together. I remember the tears in your eyes. I don't know if there were tears in Paul's eyes. I don't know if he cried a lot. Some guys do, some don't. He says, Paul's saying, you know what? I know that we have a genuine friendship. I know how deeply we love one another. I recall these things. And If you're going to make a big difference in people's lives, spiritually, you have to love them as you lead them. That is fundamental to Christian leadership, is that you lead with love. If you want to know where that's all sourced in, it's it's found in Jesus. Remember, John writes in John 13, 1, he writes about Jesus, and he says, Now, before the Feast of the Passover... Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father. Jesus knows the crucifixion, the beatings about ready to come. He knows about the resurrection, and he knows the ascension. He's about ready to go to the Father. It says this, having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. Loved them completely, to the uttermost, to the fullest. You see, that's how you lead. You lead by loving And loving is a choice, and it's a commitment. We think that love is a feeling, and so if I feel like loving you, or you're lovable to me, or I want to love you, then I will. No, that's not love. Love is a choice and a commitment. By the way, if you're going about your marriage like, well, I love my spouse as long as I got the feelings going, welcome to rough waters, right? It's no surprise why you're having the kind of relationship that you are if you're even still in it, right? 
you are finding that you got a lot of shallow friendships. In fact, you have trouble actually keeping friends. Maybe you have the wrong idea about love. Love is a choice. It's a commitment. God, I can't do this, but you can do it through me. And that's what Paul is saying here. I want you to know I love you. The great enemy to Christ-centered leadership is self-centeredness. It's just like our flesh is all about me, right? And yet God is trying to break it so that we will have a life without borders like we just sang. And a love without borders. And we love because we make a commitment to do so. Leading well comes from loving people well. And that's what you see Paul doing. You'll find that the most influential of spiritual leaders are those with a great capacity to love. You see that with Paul here and Timothy, kind of a one-on-one. But you want to see what it looks like with a large group of people in a church? In Philippians chapter 1, he writes these words, beginning in verse 6. Remember, Paul makes this great statement. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it till the day of Christ Jesus. God who started the work of salvation and life in Christ, he's going to bring it to the fullness of maturity. But the very next verse, he says this. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, you all, because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you were all partakers of grace uh, with me. And then he says, For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. You see that? Integrity. God's my witness. But I've got a love for you. It's the affection of Christ Jesus. You don't have the capacity to love like this. But Jesus does. And he intends to do it through you. And you will always find that spiritual leaders, they've got the capacity to love. And by the way, people can really tell if you love them or not. You might consider yourself a spiritual leader and and you've got a lot of influence and you're real sharp. But if you don't love people, you're really not leading them like Jesus did. And they know. You may not know. You might be a little delusional on that department there. But they know. Do, they, do you really love me? Or are you just trying to make yourself look good or feel good about yourself? If you want to be a spiritual leader, you want to develop, we'll just take a few uh, cues here from Paul. You've got to walk with God and you love people from the heart. And don't miss this. Look at verses 5 through 7. This will seem rather obvious. But if you're going to be a spiritual leader, you're going to develop as one, whether in your home, at school, in our church, you have to help people grow in their faith. You walk with God, you love people from the heart, and you help people grow in their faith. Look at verse 5. He says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and discipline. You see that? Verse 5, he says, For I'm mindful of the sincere faith. Anupokritos, it originally meant like one who was inexperienced in the art of acting. But sincere came to take the meaning of one who was genuine. Like they were unfeigned in their behavior. They were like the real deal. And what Paul is doing, he's functioning like a spiritual leader does. He's helping Timothy grow. Though Timothy is, I would believe, a pretty mature follower of Christ, got a significant ministry as a pastor, he's still in need of the encouragement of spiritual leaders helping him grow. He says, you know what, I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you. 
You are the real deal, Timothy. And just like I've got a legacy in my forefathers, I want you to know that you've got one. And don't miss this in verse 5. He names his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice by name. They had a genuine faith. They poured into you. I'll tell you, it is so powerful. I'm speaking of parents and grandparents. Specifically here of moms and grandmothers. Because they're actually named. Their names are forever recorded in holy writ. Lois, Eunice. Do not ever underestimate the power of a godly mom or grandmother. It's like we have no record of them ever going to seminary or anything like that, but they were godly women. They grew in the faith, and they influenced Timothy. They had a genuine, sincere faith. Timothy's dad, all we know that he was a Greek. He, if he had a quote-unquote religion, it was kind of like the Greek mythology, now probably with Roman names. His mother and his grandmother were the real deal. And if you're a mom out there and you feel like my husband has checked out, he is of no benefit spiritually, maybe he's gone, maybe he's abandoned you, I want you to find great hope in the scriptures. You have the power to be a spiritual leader. And let me show you what it looks like here. It looks a lot like Lois and Eunice. You have the power that comes from just being a mom. You have the power of the love of God working and flowing through you. I uh, like uh, reading about Dr. Benjamin Carson. I think over the last few years, he's become pretty well known. And pretty interesting, if you've ever read about his life, I mean, you know, a very famous surgeon, John Hopkins, um, was where he did his practice, became a presidential candidate. Very possibly this week, he will become the head of the Department of Housing and Urban um, Development. But what you may not know is his background. He grew up very poor. Uh, his mom, uh, for the boys, for Ben and Curtis, she made them do book reports every couple weeks, assigning them books and making them write reports. Okay, so like, you know, like our kids may be like really engaged in video games. Ben and his brother really engaged in reading books and writing reports. Not because it was part of school. No, because this is what Mama expected from them. But when Ben was in junior high, he made a rather startling discovery. His mother was illiterate. She didn't know how to read. And yet, all this time, she's been writing reports for all these years, handing them in to Mom, thinking that Mom's checking it out and making sure he's got it right. She couldn't read any of the words. See, Ben Carson's mom could have like, oh, you don't have an education, I don't know how to read, there's just nothing that I can do. I'm just going to wring my hands and just watch my, my kids just get enveloped by the world and destroyed. No. She did what she could. She had interest. She had an offered accountability, and she had the courage to engage and demand extra work. Please never underestimate the power of a godly mom. Several years ago, I was just uh, riding off to an appointment, listening to my car, and Charles Stanley was on the radio, and he was talking about, he was a pretty famous pastor, uh, he was talking about his experiences as a boy, and he said his mom would come into his room every night before he'd go to sleep, and, and would pray with earnestness and, and with depth, not the, you know, now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayer, but like prayer about like God and theology and character and, and the real issues in his life. 
And he said that when I'd get up early in the morning, because he had this paper out, okay, he said, I'd, I'd think about the last words that I heard. It was my mom praying. And it got me praying first thing in the morning. Where did he learn that from? He learned it from his mother. If you're a parent, you are a spiritual leader. Whether you know it or not, don't be ashamed like, whoa, my kids caught me reading the Bible. Like, oh, I hope, or kids, I hope you didn't see that. No, that's probably pretty good that they actually see you reading the Bible or praying or giving of yourself or investing in the lives of others. Uh, by the way, some people think like, well, you know, when, when I get the kids out of my house, then I'm going to serve God. And those opportunities that are available, then I'm going to take advantage of them. I just want you to tell you what that will lead to. Your kids will get the idea that, yeah, to be a Christian means that you never engage. They, they will follow that pattern. They will be highly unlikely that they will engage in any sort of ministry because that's what was modeled for them. Friends, you and I have a tremendous opportunity. Our, of course, our kids know that we're far from perfect, but they see that we're clinging with everything we got to a perfect Savior. And that's what we do. We engage. You engage in the opportunities, and you see it in our church. We have people everywhere stepping forward, taking steps of faith, living life without borders, making a difference, engaging in people's lives, in our community, in this church, in our families. we got grandparents who's like, you know what, I think I'm going to move to Waco, Texas, because I want to pour into my grandkids. I want to pour into the lives of others. That's what spiritual leadership does. And I'll tell you, this is exactly what Timothy needed. Uh, let me just tell you, from what we know of the New Testament, about Timothy. He was in need of true spiritual leadership in his life. And God provided. For Timothy, we know that he had frequent ailments. He was naturally timid. He was a young man. Uh, there were these Ephesian heiress that were present and trying to undermine his church. As a pastor, he's taking hits because you got folks creating division, lack of unity, uh, trying to tear the place up, putting, uh, uh, you know, making life very difficult for him. Your pastor takes enough hits and enough slander and enough libel it's likely, likely to silence him and make him pretty discouraged. And that's what Timothy was facing. And yet, Timothy needed a spiritual leader, and God provided one in a guy by the name of Paul. That's what Paul's doing here. He says, you know what? I'm mindful of your sincere faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. I'm sure it's in you as well. Look at verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh Literally, the flame, to, to encourage the flame, keep the fire alive, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. This likely when maybe Paul perhaps led him to Christ. There is an event that Paul places his hands and affirms this man, Timothy, you've got gifts. Gifts to pastor, gifts, gifts to evangelize, gifts to teach. You've got you to identify them, you've got to develop them, and you've got to deploy them because... Every Christian, when you place your faith in Christ, you are given gifts to be used. Used for His glory, used for the benefit and the blessing of His people. Now, we've come out of Christmas. I would imagine that most of you have opened up your presents, right? And you're probably putting them to use, or you've ate them, right? Yes? I mean, the ones that are edible. You get it. Yeah, okay. You, why? Because that's what you do. You get gifts to use it, right? God has given you gifts. Have you opened them? Are you developing them? And are you using them? Paul is saying, Timothy, I want you to kindle afresh whatever it takes to get you refocused on Jesus and the intent that he has to work through your life. Kindle afresh these gifts that God has given you. This is how the body thrives. And don't be surprised, by the way, 
as if you try to encourage people, that people are going through difficulties and have struggles, just like you do. We all do, right? We need spiritual leaders, whether you're really mature, really immature, young, old. Everybody needs the blessings and the benefits of spiritual leaders. And so he says, listen, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, of fear, but of power and love and discipline. I mean, think about it. Nero's getting pretty crazy. Persecution is starting to rise. False teachers are showing up everywhere with their little sophisticated schemes and trying to get people to engage in it, Christians, and get them going in the wrong direction and believing things that are not true. You've got folks creating division in your church. And you know what? You could get fearful. Fearful of man, fearful of rejection, fearful of failure, fearful of the unknown, fearful that God isn't going to show up and do his work. Paul is saying, Timothy, right here, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, fear, but of what? Power. Strength. The same power that raised Christ from the grave is available to you and I. The strength that comes from Jesus, in Jesus, focusing on him. I can't do it, but you can do it through me. Power. Love. The idea that, you know what? I'm committed to loving these people. Whether or not it's being reciprocated, I'm going to love like Jesus. And I need Jesus. I need you to do it through me. And discipline. The idea that you have a measured control. It's just not just all over the place. But there's this self-control that comes from the Spirit of God that allows you to look at situations without just kind of going ballistic and just kind of just hitting it in overload when it comes to the area of emotion. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's functioning like a spiritual leader. That's what they do. They help people grow in their faith, wherever they might be. And let me just give you some practical ways of helping people grow in their faith in Christ. Just super practical. Just like ask good questions. Like, just simply ask, hey, what is God teaching you? What are you learning in life? What are you learning in the Word? What's on your mind? Ask some good questions. Second, give good guidance. Okay? You want to help people understand the wisdom of the Word. Now, you might be clever. Uh, you might have some nice philosophies of life. But is it biblical? You want to give people truth, right? And God is offering truth in His Word. So you help them grow in the grace of Christ to gain a biblical perspective, to find that Jesus is their hope. You want to help them identify a game plan. You want to give good guidance. Help them figure out next steps. Let me give you a third. Just very practical. To be a spiritual leader, just pray with people. You pray with your kids, your grandkids. You pray with people in the church, people in the community, at work, at school. You just pray with them. And then fourth, just encourage growth. You want to engage in serving people. God gives you and I plenty of opportunities. So what we do is we look to have a ministry of encouragement. Remind them of God, his character. Remind them that, hey, yeah, it's looking rough, but guess what? We've got Jesus and his promises. You encourage them with their next steps, and you affirm how God's at work. You affirm how God is at work in them. That's what spiritual leaders do. You, you walk with God. You love people from the heart. And you help them grow in the faith. Now, just by the way, if you want to be a person who benefits from spiritual leadership, if you're interested, let me just tell you two things you've got to have. You have to have a desire for growth, and you have to be teachable. You've got to have a growth mindset. 
if you are not teachable, you really don't want to grow because you think you've got all the answers, guess what? It doesn't happen. You never benefit from spiritual leadership because, frankly, you don't need it. Wrong. And I will tell you that Timothy, the reason why Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Spirit, two letters to Timothy, not because he had all the answers, not because he's self-sufficient, because he's teachable and desirous to grow. And that's why Paul was writing this letter, to kindle afresh a Christ-centeredness, classic Christianity. That's what this letter does. And Timothy obviously had a pattern in his life to grow this way. That's why these letters are here. And what I'd like to do is I'd like you to be thinking about how God is using you right where you are at to be a spiritual leader. Right where you're at. What spiritual leaders do is they invest in people's spiritual growth. And if you are thinking, you know, I'd I'd like to take some even next steps of my own development, we have a conference, a leadership conference, Tuesday conference for the Evangelical Free Church Association being hosted at our church in February, February 24th through the 25th. Uh, The details are in your bulletin. Uh, A lot of my buddies, senior pastors of some churches around Texas are going to be coming. Uh, They're bringing in some folks from, uh, like, like Illinois. They're, They're bringing in folks with the intent of helping people grow and develop spiritually, as spiritual leaders. If you'd like to be a part of that, you certainly can. And you'll find the information in the bulletin. But I do want you to do this. I want you to see yourself for who you are. You're a spiritual leader. You have the potential for influence. And I'm commissioning you. Walk with God and see how he's planning to work right where you're at. Richard Halverson, the former pastor of Fourth Presbyterian Church in Bethesda, Maryland, and was also the chaplain of the U.S. Senate for a time. For years, he closed every one of his messages and worship services with this benediction, and so I close ours with it as well. He would say, wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. God has a purpose in your being right where you are. Christ, who indwells you by the power of his spirit, wants to do something in and through you. Believe this and go in his grace, his love, and his power. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, the power of your word is immense. And this is the need of the hour an opportunity to grow and invest, to live lives intentionally for you and your glory, to make the most of the opportunity and to seize the day. So, Lord, only you can make this a reality, and we ask that you do. And, Father, for someone who has come here today who's never truly trusted you, Jesus, if you've got their attention and they'd like to walk with you beginning now, would they simply pray with me and say, Lord, I turn from myself and my sin. And I trust in your son for forgiveness and for the promise of life. Lead me and guide me. And Lord, would you, through the working of your spirit and the motivation of your word, bring about revival, leadership, intentionality for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name.